if you feel that things are not going well, I can guarantee you that your vote won't count if you don't cast it. So get out and cast your vote and have your voice be heard. Welcome to Management Matters, a National Academy of Public Administration podcast where policy meets practice. I'm Joe Mitchell, Director of Strategic Initiatives and International Programs at the Academy. In October, uh, we focus on our grand challenge to ensure electoral integrity and enhance voter participation. And in this episode, I'll talk with my guest, Thomas Hicks, um, who is currently uh, the chair of the Election Assistance Commission. Tom is a new Academy fellow. He currently serves as chairman of the EAC. And Tom, I just wanted to welcome you today. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, congratulations on your recent election as a fellow of the Academy. Thank you, Joe. And I'm really honored to have been chosen and elected to be a fellow. And I look forward to um, doing a lot of work and hopefully good work in the years to, the years to come. Well, we look forward to your involvement. Um, and, and again, congratulations. Uh, you're joining a, a great group, and we're really excited to have you as part of us. So before we dive into election topics, it's always great to know more about kind of where people have been and your, your personal journey, specifically, you know, what drew you to public service? I would say there's two main folks who actually drew me to public service. My parents who didn't have the same opportunities I have uh, in terms of being able to vote or schooling and um, seeing the hard work that they've done to get where they were in life was just really, truly inspiring to me. And then others who took a interest in me because they saw things in me that I didn't see with myself um, and pushing me to to do things like go off to law school or even to um, on certain schools that I should apply to for college. And I'm very grateful to those folks uh, because being in those schools gave me an understanding of helping others as opposed to just looking inward to become, you know, money focused or something like that. Right. Yeah. Th- those influences are so important on um, the, the early experiences that we have. And sometimes I, I, I joke, sometimes it's like, you know, most of us in public administration, we have a kind of a winding way of getting here because growing up, you don't say to your parents, I want to be a public administrator. You know, well, most of us don't, at least. So it's always nice to hear hear about your uh, about people's journey. So so that's great. Thinking about the Election Assistance Commission, you've been there for um, about seven years now. You currently serve as its chairman. And so I'd love to know a little bit more about the EAC um, and its mission. This is my third term as chair, actually, and uh, I love the agency. It uh, came about after the 2000 election, and it's one that is set up to help administrators with the administration of elections. We don't have regulatory authority, but we have a lot of advice to give through our clearinghouse function. And we have given out over $800 million in the last three years alone uh, so that states can better secure their voting systems, deal with the pandemic and other aspects as well. Well, it's very important work. And of course, it's very timely work given uh, the, the the season that we're in here with with the, these midterms that um, have, have already begun. As you know, we have 12 grand challenges in public administration we announced a few years ago, and and one of them is um, in terms of the electoral integrity um, and voter participation. So we're, we're looking at both of those aspects of our elections. And so I wanted to talk 
um, with election processes. From your seat on the EAC, uh, what's your view about the overall kind of trustworthiness of our election system? I would say that the trustworthiness of the election is one that has remained high. The public servants who administer our elections do so not for a love of money. They do it for love of country and love of the process. No one's going to say that they uh, became millionaires by by serving as an election administrator. They do this for long hours away from their families so that votes can be counted correctly and accurately. I um, am very happy to see that as each election goes on, that there are aspects that, that pop up, but those situations are taken care of quickly. People have heard a lot in the news about the election overall, and they should realize that if they have doubts about the way that the election is running, that they can serve as a poll worker and see it from the inside. And there's logic and accuracy testing that each jurisdiction does so that they can see how those machines are run and how their votes are cast. And uh, there are even a few jurisdictions that run live feeds of uh, the voting process, not the way that people actually vote in terms of in the voting the voting booths, but the way that the votes are counted and the way that they're stored. Great. So, yes, I'm hearing you say there's a lot of strengths to our, our system in terms of, you know, the dedication of the people who work there, uh, the transparency um, and, you know, technology that, that can now be used to, to kind of safeguard the system. What do you see uh, in terms of like significant threats to the electoral processes? Um, what, what's what's your sense of, of that? I think that the threat has evolved over the last seven years that I've been at the agency. Um, one being a foreign actor, basically a foreign country trying to influence our elections. Um, and that's expanded out to several other countries that still um, try to influence our elections. But I think the biggest issue that is facing our country moving forward is dis and misinformation. Misinformation has been around for a long time since elections have been occurring. There used to be that people would say Democrats vote on Wednesday, Republicans vote on Thursday. But now it's instantaneous with the uh, advent of social media where people can send thousands of emails or thousands of have their followers be um, notified of something that's not necessarily true. So mis- and disinformation. I would say that when folks want information, they should go to trusted sources, one being election officials themselves. So look towards those election officials to know when you vote, how you vote, and the methods that you vote. You can uh, come to the EAC for information as well at eac.gov on, on um, processes of how, how you vote and how things are done. We have a wonderful video on security. We have a great video on what the EAC does. And those things can take 10 minutes just to watch those, and you'll get a worth of information from that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, just those resources, I think, can be so reassuring to people who are concerned um, about the processes. So I'm so glad that that, that EAC um, offers that to, to the public. To continue with the um, electoral integrity piece, obviously, we have a decentralized system of government. And so within that system, what do you think um, elected officials and career administrators should do to rebuild broad public trust um, in the election system? I think transparency helps a lot with ensuring that people see how the election is run and 
know what sort of thing. So if if they feel that it's behind some sort of black curtain, then they're going to feel that those things are secretive and something nefarious is going on. But when things are out in the light, they see that the process is one that breeds integrity and so forth. So, but the other thing, the other piece, as you said, was uh, the decentralization of our electoral process. I think that's a huge strength. One, because the way that things are run in Maine might not necessarily work as well in Washington state. And so when you have a decentralized system, you have it so that it's it's less likely to be interfered with with those foreign actors and so forth or or having an attack on it because the resiliency of being um, decentralized would would help for that to be um, basically a strength. Right. Yeah. You can't disrupt the whole system when you've got so many when it's so decentralized. It would be a lot easier if it was completely centralized to disrupt the whole thing. So we were very deliberate with our grand challenge in terms of both wanting to make sure that there was um, electoral integrity, but also wanting to make sure that everyone who is eligible to vote is able to vote. And we want to enhance voter participation. So um, certainly during the pandemic, a lot of states moved toward mail-in ballots, um, early voting, other innovations, you know, that those things got really got a boost. And I know you focused on voter access during your time on the EAC. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about some of the initiatives you've championed, um, and in particular around you know, voters with disabilities and, and overseas voters. Well, I've uh, been able to see, I, I served as an overseas voter myself, so I saw some of those challenges of basically having to have your ballot sent back and uh, whether or not it was counted. And so to see those challenges, we we worked towards ensuring that the new laws that have been put in place, the the MOVE Act, which basically allows for ballots to be sent 45 days ahead of time to allow for men and women who are living overseas to cast their votes and have those votes counted accurately to give uh, advice and clearing uh, house functions for it so that they can um, implement those things really well. The other aspect is just um, allowing for those who have disabilities to cast votes. The Election Assistance Commission recently changed our logo. And it's not the ones that you see behind me today, but um, the logo that we have now basically allows for if you look at it, there's small dots on the screen on uh, right below the the voting booth there. And if you look at those dots, you'd say, oh, those look like computer dots. But they're actually they spell out vote in Braille because of the EAC's commitment to the folks who have disabilities. In our initial law, uh, the, the Help America Vote Act, it says that folks who are disabled should be able to vote independently and privately as if any, as if anyone else. And so we work to make sure that we give advice to the states on how to ensure that people who are disabled can vote independently and privately. The other aspect that we've done is that we have put together a card that shows the rights that people who have disabilities have when they go into a voting place. And that main function is they have a right to vote independently and privately. Two, they can ask anyone to assist them with voting. They can ask the administrators who are there in the voting place. They can ask um, a family member. The only two groups of people that they cannot ask are a union rep or their boss. But other than that, um, 
they can bring anyone into a polling place to allow for them to cast their votes or or, or to help them to cast their votes if they show, should choose. And um, they also have the ability with this card um, that says to have an accessible polling place. It doesn't matter if you have your right to vote if you can't get to it to exercise it. So having an accessible polling place is um, also key to ensure that those who have disabilities can cast their votes. Uh, that's so important and so glad that that you're that you're doing that. Obviously, related to that, in terms of trying to increase voter participation, we have had um, over the states have created a wide range of new avenues for people to vote. And I was wondering what your sense is of the lessons that we've learned from states and if there are other uh, steps that maybe should be considered to increase voter participation. Well, in 2020, mail-in voting was looked at as some sort of new, innovative idea, but it's been around since the Civil War, where the folks who were fighting for the union were given the opportunity to cast their votes using the mail system, the newly newly formed postal service. And so as the pandemic came about, it was expanded and more people use uh, vote by mail than ever before. And I would like to say that it, it functioned well. And I want to commend the administrators who ran the elections because basically they were running two elections, one by vote by mail and the other for in-person po in voting for those folks who wanted to actually come into a polling place to actually cast their votes. So running two simultaneous elections at the same time and counting those ballots accurately and we got the results that the American people asked for because of the, the number of votes that were cast. Right now, we're seeing record turnout in terms of early voting. And I hope that continues on uh, because it's as as more people have talked about the elections, they become more and more involved in it. And so it's a, it's great that people are casting their votes. But I always say, if there's an opportunity for you to actually be a part of the part of the process. Please participate and become a poll worker as well. Yeah, that it's that's so important. And actually, uh, my next question for you was going to be around that. We have some people at the academy, um, including our president, who has volunteered as a poll worker. And I was wondering, you know, what recommendations do you have for professional and volunteer poll workers um, in in this midterm election? So the um, poll workers are usually paid um, and they it's a long day. It is a long day, but it's a very rewarding day. And I view it a lot as giving back to our country in terms of folks who serve on jury for jury duties or uh, or other aspects as well. It's a getting out, seeing how the process is run. And I also view it as it's a way to give back to a country that has given us each so much. So it's really, there have been people who have lost their lives for our right to vote. And so for us just to say, hey, I can spend one day serving as a poll worker just to give a little bit back, I think is really, really, could be really a, a rewarding experience. Now, there may be some jurisdictions that have more than enough poll workers. That's far and few in between. But even if that's the case, guess what? We are having another election in 2024. So you can serve then as well. So, um, you know, I think of it as it's it's really great. And um, I've gone around this country seeing early voting. I've gone to see polling places and I've seen 
administrators, whether or not they're Democrat or Republican, and they do the same thing. They want to run well elections so that the actual votes are counted accurately and those who are eligible to vote can cast their votes. So it's it's I'm looking forward to this election season. And then um, there will be problems because there's problems with with any election Um, in 20. 18, um, there were hurricanes down in Florida that uh, destroyed basically Bay County. And so they used Help America Vote Act funds to get generators and other aspects so that they can still hold their elections. In 2022, we're seeing things happen with Hurricane Ivan, Ian, who basically destroyed Lee County. And so they're looking to do some things to ensure that those folks who were displaced for, for their election, that they can still be able to cast their votes. And so as we move forward with other man-made or, or natural disasters, we want to ensure that folks are able to cast their votes and, and have those vote, votes counted accurately. And that goes to other aspects as well, if whether or not you're a student or whether or not you're in the military basically saying all Americans should be able to, if they're eligible, cast their votes and have those votes counted accurately. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's, it's so, so critical to, to our democratic system and to, to our rights as citizens. And as you said, I mean, literally people have died for their right to vote. Clearly, um, we have a polarized political environment. Uh, we have questions, as, as we talked about earlier, about kind of the trust in the system as a whole. And so I was wondering, you know, what do you think um, in terms of voter participation? We've already talked about, you know, so far there's record turnout. But what do you expect our polarized political environment and public trust questions? What do you expect that might have um, impact that might have on voter participation and kind of a sense of people's uh, of, of where people stand in terms of the election? Well, I think that it's, it's going to motivate people to actually get out and cast their vote. So I, I if you feel that things are not going well, I can guarantee you that your vote won't count if you don't cast it. So get out and cast your vote and have your voice be heard. I don't care who you vote for. I just want to ensure that you, if you're eligible, that your vote can be counted. The EAC has done great work in that it's a bipartisan agency and 95% of this stuff is nonpartisan. So what we do is we do our best to ensure that all election administrators have the resources they need to um, help the American people cast their votes. So I'll leave it with that. <laughs> well, that that's great. So one last question for you as we think about the future of the election system in the United States, not you know, just this midterm, but uh, moving forward, you know, what what are you most concerned about? Um, and then what um, are you most hopeful about in terms of the election system and voter participation and electoral integrity? Well, I'm hoping that we can get to a better funding screen. Election administrators have told me over and over again how they need more resources. And so in order for us to implement the things that the EAC has done, so in, in last year in 2021, Four commissioners voted unanimously to update the voluntary voting system guidelines, which will strengthen the the guidelines used for the purchase of voting equipment and voting machines overall. And so for states to be able to purchase that equipment, they need resources. And so I'm hoping that as we move forward in 24, 26 and 28, those resources are available for states to purchase new voting equipment. 
but also for the states that are using other aspects of voting, whether or not that's mail-in balloting for those five or six states um, that are doing all mail-in voting, that they have the resources they need to count those votes accurately and to get those resources out to the um, the electorate overall. So to basically update their voter registration systems and so forth, because it doesn't help to have all mail-in voting if you're if the ballots are going to the wrong address. So making sure that those are up to date as well. So those are my my fears and hopes in in, in one in one uh, fell swoop. Well, I appreciate your your insights on that. Obviously, you know, as as public servants, we have to have to deal with with both uh, both the, the positive and the negative, and the fears and the hopes. And clearly, our challenges are are also opportunities. So, Tom, I really appreciate your time today with us. Um, this has been a great conversation. Appreciate your service on the Election Assistance Commission. And also, once again, wanted to congratulate you on your, your recent election as a fellow of the Academy. We're really excited to have you as part of our family and look forward to working with you um, in the future. Same. Thank you for taking the time to uh, ask me these, these questions. Great. Thank you so much. For our listeners, check back every Monday for a new podcast from the Academy as we make government work and work for all. And as always, thank you for listening.